Did you know that the official recommendation for deli meat in pregnancy is not that you can't eat it, but that it's safest to eat your deli meat when it's heated to a temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit or till steaming? Yep, facts matter. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Gestational Diabetic. I'm your host, Tracy Houston, and I am here to inform you and empower you so that you can be a confident member of your healthcare team. Quick medical disclaimer, none of the information in this podcast can be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition. If you feel as though you're having any symptoms or any issues with your health, please discuss them with your, with your healthcare team. All right, ladies, today we're talking about deli meats and listeria poisoning, the recommendations for having them in he- uh, during pregnancy. And it's because I get questions about this every now and then, actually, and um, especially because the free meal plan that I have on my site, a couple of the recommendations are for deli meats or smoked meats or something like that. And so we need to address this and get the facts straight. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And if it sounds like I'm reading from a script, it's because I am. (laughs) I had to type this out because there were so many rabbit holes in this research and so many things that I wanted to address that I just needed a script to go off of so that I didn't get caught up in a tantrum or, you know, um, a rant while uh, going in this, while going over this information and then getting lost down a rabbit hole. So, Let's start off with the the facts, the statistics from the CDC, okay? And by the way, everything that's going to be discussed in here, it is for the United States. I did not gather any information about listeria poisoning in other countries. This was strictly from the CDC website and for the United States. So pregnant women are 10 times, well, first of all, nope. Let's start off with listeria poisoning. Deli meat is linked to listeria poisoning. And uh, the thing about listeria poisoning is that it's a food poisoning, just like E. coli, salmonella, and whatever else that is out there. But with listeria poisoning, it seems as though um, the chances for death are higher. So pregnant women are 10 times more likely to get listeria infection to get a listeria infection than the general population. And interestingly, Hispanic pregnant women are 24 times more likely to get infected from listeria poisoning. And the reason for that is soft cheeses. Many cases of listeria poisoning among uh, Hispanic women have been linked back to uh, Mexican soft cheeses like queso fresco, queso blanco, and all the other cheeses that are out there. Um, And it's always linked to a specific brand depending on the outbreak that year or whatever. But it just seems as though Mexican soft cheeses are reoccurringly a culprit of being the, uh, the source for listeria poisoning. So that's why Hispanic women are 24 times more likely because that is something that, <clears throat> that is included in their diet regularly. Another fact about listeria is that listeria can pass from the mom to the fetus. And so that's why when we go over the statistics later of listeria poisoning, they, they count pregnancy infections and pregnancy deaths separate from the regular toll count because um, you know they see that there is increased risk there and they want to separate that data for a specific reason. Now, uh, and another thing is that, so the, the, the outcomes of listeria poisoning, of course you can 
beat it and get better. But uh, in pregnant women, it can cause miscarriage, preterm labor, or stillbirth. Um, or it could cause serious infection or death in a newborn. And for this specific topic, newborn is considered to be a child between birth and 28 days, as defined by the CDC. Another quick thing to mention is that among food poisoning in the United States, listeria is the number three culprit in uh, causing death each year. And so it, they average that about 1,600 cases of listeria poisoning each year, and that results in about 260 deaths. Now, of course, listeria isn't the only bacterium out there. There are other food poisoning bacterium that can um, affect you. For example, to give you just kind of a reference, E. coli. E. coli outbreaks are much more common in the United States, much more common than, than listeria. And E. coli is actually found more frequently on, um, on green vegetables, or excuse me, like green um, leafy vegetables, like your lettuces and other vegetables and various foods. And so E. coli outbreaks are much more common. However, the difference between E. coli and listeria is that E. coli outbreaks or E. coli infections don't require hospitalizations as often as listeria. And um, also death is less likely than listeria. So that's just to give you a little bit of frame of reference here. So like I said in the beginning, the recommendation for deli meat in pregnancy isn't that you can't eat it. They're not saying that. And perhaps that was the recommendation once upon a time. I didn't search for that information. But as of now, the CDC recommends that if you are going to eat deli meat, you should heat it up to 165 degrees or until it's steaming. And we'll go over all the reasons for that. But we just want to get the facts straight, right? Because there are people still going around saying, oh, you're pregnant, you shouldn't eat deli meat. No, that's not the case. It's not that I shouldn't or that I can't. It's that I should take certain precautions if I'm going to do that. And so as always, when we approach these topics, you know, we want to honor them because they're true and they're relevant, but we want to give a consideration to the recommendation using an evidence-based approach. Okay, so let's look at the data that the CDC provides. First of all, an outbreak. The CDC defines an outbreak as two or more cases resulting from the same source. So even if two people are infected because they ate the same brand of deli meat, that's considered an outbreak. So when you're listening to the news or, or you know, a source that isn't giving you actual numbers, just know that an outbreak could mean anywhere from two people to 100,000 people. So numbers are very important. And even uh, percentages kind of give you an idea, but numbers are more realistic. And then also, an out, when, it, when they talk about a multi-state outbreak, all it has to be is two states. It could be two states or it could be all 50 states. But when they say multi-state, that kind of gives the impression, you know, of like this pandemic thing that's spreading wildly and scaring people. And it's just not that most of the time. In fact, um, I think going over the data, the most I saw was 19 states were affected one year, uh, but most of the time it's something like four states, seven states, two states, you know, something, something small. So 
now that we have that, uh, that baseline established, we're going to go over all the data that the CDC had about outbreaks in the past nine years. So starting in 2011, I want you to listen to where these outbreaks started, because it's also crazy. These are all listeria outbreaks. In 2011, it was from cantaloupe. 147 people were infected and it was, oh, I'm sorry. So it was 28 states and it was over 28 states. It resulted in 33 deaths and one death, um, the thir a 34th death was a miscarriage. The CDC, for whatever reason, does not um, include miscarriages as in their count for deaths, I guess, because the, the baby is not born yet. So um, 33 people died and then there was one miscarriage. All right, and that was the only outbreak in 2011. In 2012, it was ricotta cheese. 22 people were infected. It was across 13 states. 20, so out of the 22 people infected, 20 people were hospitalized and it resulted in two deaths and one, um, one death of a, a baby, of a fetus. In 2013, Again, it was cheese. Um, and all these, before I go any further, all these uh, products that I'm mentioning, they were, almost all of them were sourced back to a very specific brand. So um, when, when that happens, when you're sourcing it back to a very specific brand in a manufacturing facility or a certain grocer or something like that, what that's telling us is that there's been some kind of hiccup in their normal processing. Like maybe someone didn't disinfect a piece of equipment like they were supposed to before they left for the night. Something like that happens. Or maybe there's a leak from the roof and that leak was contaminating the packaging process, something like that. So it doesn't mean that, you know, um, this facility is always practice has bad practices and listeria outbreaks always come from them no the listeria outbreaks once they're identified they're wrapped up fairly quickly and um you know you go through recalls and the facility has to um, sanitize and do all that stuff okay so back to it in 2013 it was uh, a specific brand of cheese six people were infected, all of them were hospitalized. It resulted in one death and one miscarriage. 2014, this was crazy. There were four different sources. The first was caramel apples. Uh, the second was dairy products. The third was a certain type of cheese. And the fourth was bean sprouts. So all cases were linked back to specific brands. In total, there were 53 infections. And what's crazy is that the caramel apples produced the most cases. Out of the 53 infections, 35 came from the caramel apples. And then um, almost everyone was hospitalized. All of the dairy cases were Hispanic people. Remember, they're well, Hispanic women, pregnant women, are 24 times more likely. And those those dairy cases were traced back to specific uh, Mexican cheeses. 18 of those cases were pregnancy related. And when I say that, you know, it's just meaning either the mom or the baby. And one resulted in a fetal death and that fetal death came from the apples. Okay, in 2015, the culprits were ice cream and soft cheese. The ice cream produced 10 illnesses, 
and all everyone was hospitalized and it resulted in three deaths. And the soft cheese gave 30 illnesses, 28 people were hospitalized, there were three deaths, six of the cases were pregnancy related and one uh, resulted in a fetal death. In 2016, packaged salad gave 19 cases of listeria poisoning and everyone was hospitalized, one person passed, one person was pregnant or you know, one, one of the cases was pregnancy related. Also in 2016 was uh, raw milk. Two people were um, infected from raw milk and they were both hospitalized and resulted in one death. Frozen veggies also gave nine cases. Everyone was hospitalized and it resulted in one death. In 2017, soft cheese produced eight cases of poisoning. Everyone was hospitalized, two deaths, and one newborn illness. In 2018, it was Delhi ham, four cases, everyone hospitalized, one death. There were also pork products that uh, gave four cases, everyone hospitalized, and zero deaths. In 2019, Delhi meats and Delhi cheese gave 10 cases of listeria poisoning, everyone hospitalized, and one death. There were hard boiled eggs that gave eight cases and it resulted in five hospitalizations and one death. There was also another outbreak in 2019 where they could not trace the source, but that outbreak had 24 cases, 22 hospitalizations and zero deaths. The day that I'm recording this is November 26, 2020, so the year is not over yet. So this is what has been reported thus far in 2020. I think it's enoki mushrooms. I don't even know how to say that. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but enoki mushrooms gave 36 cases and 31 of those people were hospitalized. It resulted in four deaths. Six of them were pregnancy related and it uh, two, two fetal deaths came from that. And then another outbreak this year was deli meat, which resulted in, uh, or they had 10 cases. Everyone was hospitalized and it resulted in one death. Okay, I know that's a lot of numbers. It sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, but these are the trends that came from all that data. Number one is that every, just about every outbreak was traced back to a specific brand. So like I said earlier, that was um, something that resulted in a lack of attention in their normal processes when they were making this, when they were producing this food. So something like a leaky roof or an unsanitary preparation area, um, somebody missing the mark, you know, maybe they checked off their checklist when they really didn't do it, that type of thing. So the good thing is that they were able to trace this back to a specific brand and get uh, notify the brand and do recalls, get everything under control within a couple of months. And that's, that's usually the, the time frame with most of these cases is that everything was controlled and contained within a couple of months. Uh, number two was that over 90% of the cases required hospitalization. Um, number three is that almost every year pregnancies were involved. Uh, not always did the pregnancies result in death, but pregnancies were involved. And number four is that 
the reoccurring the recurring culprits were soft cheeses the most that was the number one recurring culprit and then the second was deli meat number five is that the meats were deli meats they weren't meats like ground beef or chicken that we could get home or anything like that there were deli meats and deli meats are already pre-cooked and so that brings you to number six is that every single product was a pre-made product it was pre-cooked or it did not require cooking by the final customer. And so they were ready to eat products. What that tells us is that these products went through all of their processing, all of their cooking, everything that they had to do. And when you cook foods, you kill off bacteria. All food has bacteria even after being cooked. But when you cook foods to a certain temperature, you kill off most of the bacteria. So all of the foods went through that process but when it came down to uh, packaging or serving the food, that's when the contamination happened because the food had already killed the bacteria. So contamination likely took place after the cooking process, somewhere in between the packaging to the serving. So when you think about these ready to eat products, it's deli meat, it's uh, beef jerky, it's salsa that's chopped in store and prepared for you in store. It's the, um, the pre-made foods in store where you can go to your grocery and just get dinner. You know, it's kind of like a cafeteria style line where you can pick what you want for dinner that night. It's things, it's foods that are made in store or made by someone else and then you eat. So how can something like that be prevented? That's completely out of our control when we buy foods that are ready to eat, we don't know everything that they've gone through, but we kind of, we put some trust in that everybody who was handling this food, you know, took the proper precautions and followed procedures in order to deliver to us a safe product, right? So how can these cases of listeria poisoning be prevented? Well, we want to take reasonable precautions, okay? By reasonable, what I mean is that we're not going to be our own farmers and suddenly create our own garden to be self-sustaining and uh, you know not buy food from anywhere, not eat out from anywhere or anything like that. A reasonable, a reasonable precaution is something like when you go into the place that you're going to buy this stuff from, like think your local butcher or um, your local deli, look, look around you, look at the place, is it clean? the workers, what is their physical appearance? Are they clean? Are they wearing gloves? Are they wearing aprons? Do they have um, the shower caps? I, I can't think, the netting, the, the netting for their hair. Is that on their head? You know, there are ways to look around to try to find out if someone is following standards or upholding standards in the way that they conduct business. If you're at a butcher shop or something like that, you know, is there a bunch of um, juice and blood from the meat? Is that 
around? Are they wiping that up immediately? When they wipe it up with a towel, where do they put the towel? Do they hang it on their apron? Big no-no. Or do they put it back into a bucket? Whenever you see them put it into a bucket, that's supposed to be a bucket mixed with a bucket of water mixed, mixed with sanitizing solution. Um, but what is the color of that water? Is it gross and muddy or is it fresh? You know, those are the things that you want to look at to make sure that the place that you're buying your food from is maintaining uh, their standards and serving you quality. Personally, I'm more confident in buying stuff that is commercially processed rather than from a local person because in a commercial setting, the rules and the standards are much more rigid and they're more vigorously enforced. And when I think about, you know, a local person, you know, there's a lot of talking going on, you know, they're laughing over your food and what just, it's an, it's a, it's an, it's an environment that can easily become laxed. Whereas in a commercial production facility, everyone is covered from head to toe because they want to minimize the risk of contaminating the food. And I'm actually going to link to a couple of YouTube videos in the show notes so that you guys can see what I'm talking about, how, how workers in a commercial setting look and how they interact with the food that they're making when everything is processing. And it gives you a better sense of security. The foods that you're buying, are they being cut or handled in front of you? I personally wouldn't trust that, especially in pregnancy and with what we're dealing with here, because the if you're going to your butcher and they have an entire ham in front of you in the cooler and you say you want a pound of ham, then they have to take that ham out and cut it by hand or with their machine or whatever, their meat slicer, and then give it to you and then they put it back. Okay, but what if they're busy? So, and they have multiple workers, that's multiple hands on that same product. And depending on how busy they are, you know, somebody might get caught up in a task and not put that meat back. When you don't keep meat at a particular temperature, it becomes a breeding ground for bacteria. And we'll talk about that in a second. But when you, I would, I would prefer personally for the meat and or whatever it is that I'm buying to be cut commercially by machines than in front of me by someone who is handling the meat who will likely have to change shift and have someone else handle that meat because that's just more hands on it and more chance for contamination. Another reasonable step that you can take with foods that you don't heat up, like, you know, you're not going to heat up a salad or cantaloupe, you know, your fruits and your vegetables, you don't heat those up. So what you can do with those is just make sure that you thoroughly wash them. Even if it's an orange, the outside peeling, you can still wash that because when, let's say, you know, let's say there's a bacteria on the outside of the orange, when you're peeling it and then you go from the peeling to the orange, you've just contaminated the part that you're going to put in your mouth. So as a general practice, you can wash, thoroughly wash all uh, fruits and vegetables to help prevent the spread of bacteria in your kitchen. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit and talk about bacteria on food. All food has bacteria. Again, let me say this, 
all food has bacteria. At no point in time does a food not have any bacteria. Bacteria can um, be killed off. Some bacteria is killed off with heat or in an, in an acidic environment. However, there's bacteria that can um, get into the food or become dormant. And then once it's in an environment where it can grow, it will do just that. But um, so every food is contaminated with bacteria, but raw foods are the most contaminated. So when we're talking about raw foods, it's it's something like, um, you know, raw eggs. It, raw eggs are found in foods like Caesar dressing or tiramisu, um, what else? Uh, maybe a hollandaise sauce, you know, or undercooked meats. Do you like your steak medium or medium rare or your salmon medium? Those are undercooked meats because they haven't reached that internal temperature of 165 degrees. Uh, raw shellfish, so sushi, fresh fruits and vegetables, and you know whatever other foods there are. And so yes, no food is ever free of bacteria. No food will ever be 100% free of bacteria. Heating food to a certain temperature kills off most of the bacteria, but not all of it. And the presence of bacteria on food is the exact reason why we have food handling practices in place. When it comes to food safety practices, you know, there's only so much that we can control because we rely on our farmers and companies, restaurants, commercial production, grocers, and a whole bunch of other people to provide us with this food. And we cannot control what they do. We have to rely on our food safety agencies to both enforce these practices and, uh, and inspect the companies to make sure that they're carrying them out. So where we do have control is where we buy from. Like I mentioned earlier, um, when you go into a place and inspecting it visually to make sure that it looks like they're upholding their standards at least. And also um, what we have control over is what foods we choose. If we're going to eat a raw or undercooked food versus a cooked food. And then also if we handle the food properly and prepare it properly ourselves. So we also have to follow those recommendations that we are um, trusting that all the manufacturers are, are following as well. So when it comes to food safety, there's this thing called a danger zone. And the danger zone is between 40 degrees and 140 degrees. That is the temperature range that bacteria on food grows at a faster rate. So when you think about your refrigerator, your refrigerator has, it cannot be above 40 degrees. And so normally it's between like 38 and 40 degrees, but that's good because at 40 degrees, that becomes the danger zone where bacteria will, will grow more quickly. And then above 140 degrees is normally where we cook our meats and other foods. So we wanna make sure that they're cooked at a high enough temperature to kill off that bacteria. So it's not like you're gonna go around testing your food with a thermometer to see if it, what temperature it's at, right? So an easy way to know that your food is not in the danger zone is to either keep it refrigerated once it's been cooked or prepared or to heat it up to um, 
a hot temperature, 165 degrees is what's recommended, so that you are killing off as much bacteria as possible. Another contributor to the danger zone is the amount of time that it's spent in that area. So the example that I used earlier with your, um, your deli taking the ham out and perhaps leaving it out because they see a return customer, like six customers down that they know is going to want ham, they might leave it out of the refrigerated area. And that just shouldn't be because the amount of time that your, your food is spent in the danger zone also contributes to the growth rate of the bacteria. So the danger zone is 40 to 140 degrees. And then also after your food has been cooked or even if it's raw or after it's been prepared, if even if it doesn't require cooking, once you've handled it, you want to make sure that it is not in the danger zone for two hours or more. So after you cook something, you eat it, you package it up and put it in the refrigerator before that two hour mark because you do not want the bacteria to be in a place where they thrive and they thrive in the danger zone. Okay guys, I know that was a lot of information so let's just recap it. Number one, the caution for deli meats should be applied to all no cook food. Any food that you're getting from the grocery store that does not require you to cook it it can potentially have uh, bacteria on it that can hurt you. So um, beef jerky, deli meats, uh, salsas and dips that are made in the store, uh, soft cheeses that are made with non-pasteurized milk. Pasteurization means heating it up to a certain temperature. So, and that's the exact reason so that it can kill off some of that bacteria. So if you're buying a soft cheese, you want to make sure that it says made with pasteurized milk or pasteurized dairy. It'll say it somewhere on the packaging, but the easiest place to find it is to turn it over and look at the ingredients and make sure that it says where it says milk, pasteurized milk, or that some ingredient in there says pasteurized, whatever dairy ingredient is in there says pasteurized. Number two, the caution for, for listeria is because it's potentially deadly. Number three, pregnant women are 10 times more likely to get listeria poisoning than the normal population. Hispanic women, excuse me, Hispanic pregnant women are 24 times more likely, and that is normally attributed to the soft cheeses in Hispanic culture. Number five, the recommendation isn't that you can't eat deli meats, but it's that you should heat them up to 165 degrees Fahrenheit or until they're steaming. That is the best and safest way that you can consume deli meats. So when you go to Subway, it's recommended, or you know, another sandwich shop like that, it's recommended that you eat sandwiches that are heated like the meatball sandwich and I don't know whatever else they have uh, just to lessen your chances of getting listeria poisoning. Number seven, listeria infections are normally traced back to certain brands. So we can reasonably assume that the outbreaks that come from listeria poisoning happen because of a misstep in their normal processes, but we can be confident that they are quickly contained once, that, once they're identified. 
Number eight, to lessen your chances, heat pre-cooked meats to 165 degrees or steaming. By the way, that includes hot dogs. I should mention that too. And you should also thoroughly wash all of your produce and use soft cheeses made with pasteurized milk and use them in dishes where they have to be cooked. You know, something like a casserole or enchiladas or something like that. But um, you want to make sure that you're taking as much precaution as you can to prevent this. Number nine, once you've prepared any food, even if it didn't require cooking and you just prepared it with your hands, refrigerate it immediately or as soon as possible, but definitely not past the two-hour mark because you want to get it out of a thriving environment for the bacteria. And let me just say this. Out of all of the brands that were mentioned where listeria poisoning was linked back to, you know, a certain brand, brands that are normally on your shelves at Walmart, like Hillshire Farm or Oscar Mayer or whatever else is out there, none of those brands were reported as being the source of it. Not saying that it can't happen, but there is a certain sense of security that those brands are so big, they have well-established well -established processes and standards and inspectors along the way. And um, there's just a little bit more confidence in buying those meats, knowing that these brands are well-established, they uphold their standards. And um, they, in the past nine years at least, there have been no cases linked back to them and their processing. And also another, another part of that is that they have money, they have big money, right? And so when it comes down to uh, something in their facility that needs to be fixed, they have the money to fix that. Whereas a smaller shop, a small business owner might put something off because they just don't have the money at that time. So just something to think about. But all in all guys, you can eat deli meat, it's fine. Do whatever precautions you feel necessary to, um, to do it. Oh, and also I should mention that deli meat should be consumed within two to five days. After it's been you know opened or handled, cut by your butcher or whatever, uh, deli meat should be consumed between two to five days as recommended by the CDC. That's all I have for you today, guys. If you found this information helpful, I would greatly appreciate it if you would scroll down on your podcast app at the very bottom and leave a review and a, a rating uh, for the podcast. It helps other moms see this and know that there's good content here and that you know other people have been helped by it. So thanks for your time, guys. I'll talk to you next time.